0: You guys can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning as we continue our series on relationships in life. When you think about it, really outside of your relationship with Jesus, there's no relationship that's as formative for you as a relationship between parent and child. That relationship is is really central to everything that we are everything that we become actually it's interesting doctors say that that relationship between parent and child begins before birth that actually while the child is still in the mother's womb they begin to form a bond and a connection to one another and that relationship between a parent and a child it's going to change and transform more than any other relationship in your life as you go from infant to adult and then when it's your turn To be the parent, no relationship is going to be as consuming or exhausting as a relationship with your children. So for this relationship that is so consuming and so important, it's actually really surprising that there are so few passages in the Bible that are explicitly about the relationship between parents and kids. There's very few of them actually. Far more passages about how to use your money or, or how to do church right or things like that. Very few passages about the responsibility of parents to kids and kids to parents. We're going to look at one of them this morning. One of the few. Very important one. Ephesians chapter 6. It's actually only four verses long. And just to give you a, a map of where we're going, the first three verses are about a responsibility of children to parents. And then the last one, the fourth verse, is about a parent's responsibility to children. Okay, so we're going to jump right in. We're going to start with Paul's directive to children. So we'll start just with verse one, direction to children. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And we'll pause there for a bit. This verse is very, very simple. It's very direct. I use this verse a lot in my parenting. So when my parent, when my Kids are frustrated with me, and they disobey, and they want to know, Dad, why do we have to obey you? I just read this verse and say, thus saith the Lord. Boom, do it. It's right here. It's not complex. It's a really simple directive. The challenge for us is figuring out who is included in that word children. Who is that for? In English, when we think of children, we tend to think of young kids, right? So children as opposed to like adolescents or teenagers or youth or college. And, and that's reflected in our nomenclature here at Grace Bible Church. We have children's ministry, which is not the same thing as youth ministry or college ministry. But if you go back to the Greek and Hebrew, you find that there's no age limit to the word child or children. It just means that you came from two parents. And, and so in a sense, all of us are children, However, who is under verse 1? Who here is the the children that are under their parents' authority? Well, when we look at the Bible, the answer is all of those who are not yet married. Marriage was the transition from being a child under the authority of your parents to being your own family. In Genesis chapter 2, God says that that marriage is the point at which the, the boy leaves his mother and father, so comes out from their authority, cleaves to his wife, and the two become one new person, one new family. So in biblical times, the transition occurred at marriage. In our culture, it's a little bit less tied to marriage itself and a little more connected to financial independence. So you are, under your parents' authority, children, so long as you are still depending upon your parents financially in any way. So certainly that would include little kids. It would also include adolescents and teenagers. It would include college students. If your parents pay for your college or support you, or if you move home during during the summers. It would include adult grown children who move back into their parents' house. If you're uh, if you're depending upon your parents and you are included in this word children and verse 1 applies to you. You are to obey your parents. Paul says in the Lord By adding that prepositional phrase, in the Lord, Paul's basically ratcheting up the seriousness of this command. He's saying that obeying our parents is equivalent to obeying the Lord himself. It's that important. So you cannot say that you follow Jesus and yet disobey your parents. Those are antithetical. Okay, So to follow God means to obey your parents. And then Paul adds, for this is right. That, that word right it's from the same word group we get words like righteousness and justice and and paul's point is that obedience to our parents is a matter of justice to obey your parents that is an expression of righteousness and justice to disobey your parents is a violation of righteousness and justice so pretty big stuff pretty serious well paul wants to go even further So in the next verse, he's going to take us back to the Old Testament. So look with me at verse 2. He quotes the Old Testament, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments. and, And he tells us, Honor your father and mother. He's adding a new word. Okay, so you had the word obey, now you have the word honor. To honor means to ascribe high value to someone, to esteem them, revere them, lift them high. So why does Paul add this word honor on top of obedience? Well, because it's possible to obey your parents with a bad attitude. You can obey with a scowl on your face. Is that still obedience? Well, technically, yes, but it's not honor. Because honor goes beyond the mere blanket obedience. It goes down to attitude. It goes down to the tone of your voice, the words that you choose, your your facial language. It includes all of that. And so Paul wants us to understand it's not enough to just obey. We must also be respectful of our parents and how we interact with them, how we speak to them, even in the tone of our voice. This is something that my wife Julie and I are working on with our kids. We have twin 10-year-olds a boy and girl, Luke and Gracie, and we found that uh, lately we had kind of allowed a habit to happen where when we tell them to do something that they don't want to do, they'll say, fine. And they'll go do it. And, and so they're obeying, but the, the attitude wasn't there. That's not a respectful way to talk to anyone, especially parents. And so we started this yes ma'am, yes sir jar on the kitchen counter. And basically the idea is anytime the kids respond appropriately to a command, they get to go put a marble in. So if they say, yes sir, yes ma'am, they get to go put a marble in when it's full to get ice cream. So, um, really good idea. I will admit, though, um, the kids figured out how to game it the first day. So they realized if we do something super annoying to dad, he will say, stop that. And we get to say, yes, sir, and put another marble in the jar. And, and so, no, I clarify with it. No, you game my system, I take two marbles away. We're, we're, not, <laughs> we're not doing any of that. So this idea that we're trying to teach our kids is that honor is important as obedience. You need Both of them. So God demands a lot of children. We're to obey and honor our parents in all things. And to motivate kids towards that, God makes a promise. So look at verse 3. Again, quoting the Old Testament. So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. This is actually one of the few places in the New Testament where God follows a command with a promise about something he'll do in this life. There's a lot about the next life, but in this life, this is fairly rare. Now, I think we all know this is not a blanket promise. Obey your parents, honor your parents, and and you will for sure live a long life on earth. We all know obedient children who died young, disobedient children who are still alive. It's not a blanket promise. It is a general principle that God designed into all of life. Children who tend to follow their parents, to obey and respect their parents, tend to thrive in life. Those who rebel tend to suffer in life. We see that of human beings. We, we see that actually of all living things. If you think about the bear cub that follows its mom, does what she does, that bear cub is going to tend to thrive. The bear cub that rebels and goes off on its own, it's going to tend to die because that's how God designed life to work. The young tend to thrive when they follow their parents and that's God's point. Children, obey and honor your parents because that's how you thrive in life. Now that does beg a question, which I'm always asked, what about if my parents tell me to do something sinful or try to stop me from doing something good. What do I do then? Well, in all of life, there is a hierarchy of obedience and God always comes first. So God first, always. You always obey him first. Then under our obedience to God, we have obedience to parents and teachers and law enforcement, but God always first. You always obey him first. So to state the obvious, if your parent invites you to try meth, the answer is no. Not going to do that. Nope, God doesn't want me to do that. Or more, more likely, what if your parent is not into this whole Christianity thing and, and your parent tells you, hey, you're, you're wasting your time going to church. You ought to stop doing that. You shouldn't give your money to charity. That's a waste. Stop sharing the gospel. That makes people feel uncomfortable. So your parent is trying to, to stop you from practicing your faith. What do you do? Well, you follow God. You always follow God in that situation and so you're you're going to choose in that moment to disobey your parent but here's the key you choose to disobey with honor with respect and what i mean by that is you don't give him the middle finger and storm out the door Instead, you, you have a conversation about it, and you, you speak to them respectfully about your love. You love them, you care about them, but, but you have to follow Jesus in this moment. And, and so you've got to follow him, even though that leads you to disobey your parents. So when you have to disobey, you do it in a respectful way. That's always true. The only exception I can think of is in a case of, like, abuse or violence in the home. Don't worry about any of this. Just go straight to the, to the police. That's where God would want you to go in that moment. All right, what about the rest of us who are no longer under this term children? So, even though we are children of our parents, we're no longer under their authority. What do we do? So, we're talking about grown up kids uh, like me. I'm 43. I have my own family, I have my own kids, uh, we have our own house. I'm not financially dependent upon my parents in any way. So what do my responsibilities look like towards my parents? To answer that question, we have to go to another passage that Paul wrote later in the New Testament. It's 1 Timothy chapter 5, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. It's a situation It's widow. She's an older woman whose husband has died. And in their world, that would mean she was very vulnerable. She needed someone to care for her. And, and Paul's saying the responsible party is her children. First and foremost, if they've died, then the grandchildren. But the, the children are responsible to provide for their aging parents. And so now that we have grown up, for those of us who are, who are older in this room, if our parents are still alive, we have transitioned from honor and obey to honor and provide. So honor always, but from obey to provide. We're now responsible to do that. Now, we have new tools to do that with. We live in kind of a different cultural context. In the ancient world, they did not have Social Security and, and Medicaid and nursing homes and things like that. That wasn't available, so the, the, really the children had to provide in every way for their aging parents. We have new tools that we can use, things like insurance and stuff like that. However, the key is all these new tools that we have, they do not absorb. Resolve us of primary responsibility for our aging parents. So even if our aging parents live in a nursing home or, or have social security or insurance or whatever it might be, we can't wash our hands. God holds us primarily responsible to have their back. To honor and provide for them and care for them as they grow older. Okay, so those are our responsibilities as children, which applies to pretty much every one of us in the room. Always honor, obey when we're young, provide, as we age. okay. Now let's move to parenting. This is a harder part of the sermon. Thinking about our responsibilities as parents. I'll just begin with a confession. Parenting is the hardest thing I have ever tried to do. By far. Not, there's not even a close second. I pushed myself to get a 4.0 in mechanical engineering. At Texas A&M. And that was child's play. Compared to raising kids. For real. It is by far the hardest thing I have ever tried to do. I know I'm not alone in that. I saw Ray Romano, a comedian, observed having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody sleeps, everything's broken, and there's a lot of throwing up. Really, a a shocking amount of throwing up. As Elizabeth Gilbert put it, having a child is like getting a tattoo on your face. You better be committed. Like it's going to be a whole life change when you do that. Or Kate Middleton, who's married to Prince William, she and and Prince William both have lamented about how hard parenting is. Well, Remember, they have a full-time nanny. They have six full-time staff waiting on them at all moments of the day. And it's still hard. Yes, parenting is incredibly hard. I don't know what the heck I'm doing most of the time. As a parent, nothing has ever made me feel as inadequate as being called dad. And so I'll just be honest with you guys. uh, This right now, right here, this is the most hypocritical sermon I have ever been asked to preach. How do you parent? I don't know. (laughs) It's incredibly difficult and I fail. I fall short frequently. I often I lose my temper at my kids, they push my buttons and I yell and I and I even scream. And I didn't even know that I could do that. I'd never done that before. I've never felt as inadequate and ill prepared as I have being a parent. And so if you're here this morning and you're looking for a sermon on parenting from a perfect parent, I would encourage you to head to lunch. You will beat the crowds if you leave now because there's no perfect parenting going on here. We are all struggling. The reality is in my 16 years of being a pastor here at Grace Bible Church, I have actually never talked to any parent who said, I've got it all together. Never. I've never talked to a parent who said this whole mom or dad thing, nailed it. Perfect. Never. No, I've talked to a whole lot of moms and dads who feel ashamed and afraid and overwhelmed. And so I, I think that it would be really helpful for us just for a moment to recognize that and be honest about that. Let's be honest with one another that parenting is incredibly hard, harder than we ever imagined it could be, and we all feel inadequate. And, and honestly, that sense of inadequacy is growing Because in the last 10 years, you look at the challenges that we face, they're new. My parents, when they were raising me, they didn't have to worry about internet pornography. That was not a thing. They didn't have to worry about social media or online bullying. My parents, as soon as I could ride a bike, they could send me out of the house all day long just to roam the neighborhood on my own. You do that now and you get arrested. We have an incredible number of new challenges facing us. And so all of us as parents, we feel inadequate and overwhelmed. And we just need to be honest with one another about that. We need to stop pretending that we have everything together. We need to be honest about the fact that every single parent in this room, none of us are as good a parents as we thought we would be. None of us are as good a parents as we hoped we would be. None of our families are as pretty or perfect as our Facebook or Instagram posts would suggest. We are all overwhelmed. We are all afraid and ashamed of our failures. We all feel inadequate as parents. Let's just be honest with each other about that. And so recognizing that for a moment, that leads to this question. Okay, for struggling and inadequate parents like us, how can we parent a little bit better this week? Just a little bit better. How can we grow just a little bit as we parent? I, I want to give you some ideas. I'm not going to give you a long list. Not, not a long list of things to do. That's not helpful. I sat down with my wife, Julie, this week. Well, actually, this was a few weeks ago. when We were preparing this, just thinking through. What, what are the primary lessons that God has taught us from his word over the 10 years that we've been raising our kids? So so during our decade-long journey, what are the things that have really stood out from God's Word in our lives that we would like to share with you guys? So um, there's three. I'm going to share three big ideas with you this morning from God's Word that help us to parent just a little bit better this week. The first thing that will help you parent just a little bit better, stop comparing and start giving thanks. Uh, Let's look again at our passage, Ephesians 6. I want to look at verse 4, just the first half of it. Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger provoke to anger it means to cause a person to become intensely frustrated just overwhelmed and frustrated don't don't cause your children to feel that sense of frustration and just overwhelmingness Paul is going to talk about this again in a companion passage Colossians 3 fathers do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart exasperate it means to irritate to provoke to embitter them to lose heart it means that they're discouraged and depressed so I, I wondered why is this to fathers? I, I think fathers we uniquely struggle with this, but it applies to mom and dads both. This is true for all parents. We're not to provoke our children to anger. We're not to discourage them and overwhelm them. So I spent some time thinking. Well, what does it actually, practically, look like to provoke your children to anger? What does that even mean in, in the real world? Well, think about this for a moment. When your kids misbehave. How does God want you as a parent to respond? Answer simple. Like him. That's pretty much always the answer. Like him. He's the perfect father. So God wants you to respond to your disobedient kids just like he responds to his disobedient kids. So let's look at God the father. How does he respond when we disobey? Well, in perfect wisdom. In infinite love. In like eternal patience perfect grace perfect truth do do you ever fall short of that i do all the time all the time i fall short of that in my parenting i look at with with luke and grace and how i respond to them on my best days maybe i'm getting a little bit close but on a lot of days rather than than infinite love and grace and wisdom and truth i respond in anger and, and i get frustrated and I get impatient and that's when I crush them. That's when I, that's when I t- cause them to be discouraged and overwhelmed and crouch because I'm parenting out of a bad place. I'm parenting out of anger and frustration and impatience. And so I step back and I ask, why do I do that? Why am I responding to my kids differently than God responds to his? Where is his love and grace and wisdom in my life? Why am I getting so frustrated, so impatient? And and so you think about that for a while. Well, sometimes I'm just hungry or I'm tired. A long day at the office. Okay, let's set those aside for a moment. Most of the time, though, why am I getting angry and impatient? Well, Julie has this great thing that she'll remind me. It's kind of a mantra in our house. Anger is never the thing. Anger is the sign of the thing. It's the symptom of the deeper thing. And so when you feel anger or impatience or frustration, it, it's, a, it's a key. Okay, you need, to, you need to look deeper. Okay, you need to look deeper. What's going on in your heart that's causing this response? And so I spent time just trying to unpack that. Okay, God, what's going on in my heart when I respond unlike you to my kids' misbehavior? When I get angry or frustrated, why am I doing that, God? So I'll share with you the two things that God Uh, kind of showed me in my own life that may be the same things going on in your life when you parent out of a, a place of frustration or anger. Yours might be a little bit different, but I think a lot of you will be able to identify with this. I get angry at my kids. Here's the first reason. Because my kids aren't living up to the unrealistic expectations that I created by comparing my family to other families. So I see other families, I see other kids in the community and at school and at church. And I see how your kids behave here at church. Now to be fair, I'm seeing your kids at their best. I see my kids at their worst. I see my kids at six o'clock at night. And that's always the worst in our house. And so I compare and by comparing often I feel like my kids fall short. And I wonder why your kids seem so patient, they seem so respectful, they seem so kind, they they seem so quiet, why are they so quiet and mine are so loud and crazy and impatient? And I compare, and out of that comparison, what do I feel? I feel fear. I feel fear what have I done wrong? How did I blow it as as a parent that my kids are like this? What's wrong with my kids? Am I raising sociopaths? What's going on? I feel afraid. I feel fear. And you never parent well out of fear. Out of that fear, when my kids misbehave, then I respond in anger and frustration and impatience at them instead of out of love and grace. So that's the first example that I see. I compare my kids to other kids. Not fair to my kids because I'm seeing them at their worst. I'm seeing your kids at their best. But I do that. We all make comparisons like that. And I feel afraid. And then I parent from a bad place. Second reason that I saw in, in my life, I get angry at my kids, frustrated, impatient, because I compare myself to other parents and feel shame at my failures. This one's interesting. Notice it's not about my kids. My kids aren't in that. This. this one's about me. I compare myself as a dad to other dads. Now, again, I'm seeing other dads at their best. In public, I see me at my worst. I see my, my thoughts that no one else knows about. I, I see how I am late at night struggling with something. I see myself at my worst. But I compare myself to other dads and I feel shame. Shame at how I feel like I've fallen short. And out of that shame, I parent badly. I get frustrated with my kids, angry with my kids. It's not about them. It's about what's going on in my heart. In in my parenting, there's nothing that's made me feel more dad shame than youth athletics. I'm not good at sports. I actually hate sports. I never have liked sports. Don't know why. I don't like competition. I don't like loud, noisy places, which tends to be where all sports happen. So I'm not good at sports. I don't like sports. And so I'm not the kind of dad who coaches because I don't even know how to do that. I don't coach youth athletics. But I look around and I see lots of you who do. Lots of you other dads who are amazing coaches, who are teaching your kids how to play catch. My neighbor's out there throwing the football every night. I don't know how to do that. They're playing sports all the time. I see them on a Saturday morning. They're out at the fields. They're, they're coaching their kids. Everyone's having a wonderful time. They seem like amazing dads. And they're smiling and enjoying pizza afterwards. And it's amazing. And I see these incredible coaches. And then I remember two weeks ago, I tried to play wiffle ball with my daughter. And I ended up with a bloody nose from wiffle ball. I'm no good at sports. I can't do that. So I see how good you guys are at coaching your kids. I compare myself to you, and then I feel shame. I feel like an absolute failure of a father when I compare myself to you. Comparisons are bad because we always lose them. Because we see everyone else at their best and ourselves at our worst. So we need to stop comparing. Because when we compare, it always breeds fear and shame in our hearts, and you're never going to parent well out of fear and shame. So stop comparing yourself to other parents, your kids to other kids. That never will go well. It will just drive fear and shame that will cause you to parent badly. We need instead to believe that every parent, every child, every family is unique. When, when God looks at you, he doesn't compare you to anyone else. When you stand before God, he's not going to judge you compared to how your neighbor did. That's not, God didn't make you your neighbor. God made you you. You are unique. Your kids are each unique. Your family is each unique. And God understands that better than anyone. So the great news for me, when I stand before Jesus and he evaluates my life, he's not going to compare me to, to my friend Jason Wiesepoppy, who coaches every sport out there. Because God didn't make me Jason. God made me me, and so I'm not required to be like him, and, and what that means is that what I need to do when I start feeling that shame or that guilt, I need to give myself grace. I need to give myself, it's okay that I don't coach my kids in sports. That wasn't what I was designed to do. God knows better than anyone else how bad I would be at it, because he made me bad at sports, so he's okay with it. So give yourself grace. Give your spouse grace. Give your kids grace. God didn't give you those other kids. He gave you your kids. So keep your eyes on your kids. Don't compare them to others. Give grace to yourself, your spouse, and your kids. Stop comparing. Instead, start practicing gratitude. So gratitude is simply the discipline of giving thanks. Looking for good things and giving thanks. Gratitude is a solution to pretty much everything negative in your life you want to get something fixed in your life start practicing gratitude around that thing so whatever that thing is so parenting you you need to look for things in your life that allow you to be a uniquely good parent there's something that God has given you that you are particularly good at you need to give thanks for that you need to find that in your spouse you need to find that in your kids so for me When I feel ashamed, as I see all these other dads coaching their kids in sports, I remind myself, wait a minute. I built my daughter a go-kart, and I was uniquely equipped to answer my son's questions about election and free will. I've got that going for me. There's not a whole lot of people that'd be ready for that in an instant. So there are some things to tell God thank you for. Find those things. Practice giving thanks for the good things that you bring to the table as a parent. Give thanks for the good things your spouse brings to the table. Give thanks for the good things your kids bring to the table. There is something to give thanks for today. If you will practice that habit, it will help free you from that fear and shame that that really hurt your ability to parent well. Okay, so that's my first piece of advice for you. Stop comparing and start practicing gratitude second bring them up in the lord look at the end of verse four paul says but bring them that's your kids up in the discipline and instruction of the lord so defining some terms here discipline it means training it's how like you would train an athlete teaching or instruction it means teaching your kids right and wrong good and evil so they understand the difference and when he says of the lord he means that you're you're training and you're teaching your kids to follow the lord to know God, to know God's word, to follow God. First and foremost, you're teaching them the gospel so that they understand the gift of eternal life so that they can know Jesus as their savior. Then you're teaching them to follow Jesus, to obey God, to walk with God. You're teaching them the word of God. So, this is actually a really common thing theme in the few passages we do get in the Bible about parenting. This is what almost all of them will point to. Our primary responsibility as parents is to teach and train our children to know and follow the Lord. So you, you see it in, in Ephesians. You see it also back in Deuteronomy 6. One of the most important passages on parenting you'll find anywhere in the Bible. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And the key thing to notice here. So Israel is being instructed. Parents are being instructed to teach and train their children in the ways of God. Notice it's not just on Sunday. It's not just Christmas and Easter. It's actually every day. And just the normal flow of life, as you come in, as you go out, this is to be the normal thing that you are talking about the Word of God, that you're getting your kids in to the Word of God. Okay, so we're to teach and train our children to follow God. Now, let's get down to brass tacks. How exactly do we do that? It's easy to say, but but how do we do it? Well, two steps to teaching and training your kids to follow the Lord. Number one, and the most important step by far, you've got to model it. You've got to live it out in front of them. As Carl Jung said, children are educated by what the grown-up is and not by his talk. That is absolutely true. What will stick in the minds of your children for the next 80 years is what kind of person you were. How you behaved, how you acted, how you spoke. Not the things you told them to do. Okay? We must model what it looks like to follow Jesus if we want our kids to follow Jesus. We're the primary examples they're going to look to. So the goal of parenting, if you really wanted to summarize it, what would it look like to be a great parent? It would be that we could say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 to our kids, follow my examples, I follow the example of Christ. That's good parenting in a nutshell. Now, I don't know about you, I look at that and I feel convicted. As I follow the example of Christ, well the problem is, I don't always follow the example of Christ. And the particular place where I tend to blow it is in front of my kids because they push my button. So what do you do with that? Well, my encouragement is just don't give up. If you look at that, you I'm falling so far short, I feel ashamed. Don't give up. Repent, confess that sin to God, confess that to your kids and commit to walk with Jesus a little bit better this week. Actually, one of the really interesting things we get to do as parents is ask our kids for forgiveness. You have to say, hey, this is what God wants of me, that I would follow Christ so closely that if you follow me, you'll follow him. And I fell short in this particular thing. I fell short today. And I I want you to forgive me. Please forgive me. So we get to model that for our kids and teach them what it looks like to follow Christ. So we have to model it. That's the first thing. Second, we need to teach it. We we can't assume that the church is going to teach it or if your kids go to a Christian school, don't assume that the Christian school is going to teach it. You got to teach it. As a parent, you're primarily responsible to teach your kids the ways of God, the word of God, the truth of God. Now, how exactly do you do that? Well, that's going to vary from family to family, kid to kid, time to time. Lots of different ways this is going to look. I encourage you, kind of Julie and my way to approach this, is we're going to make use of every tool we possibly can and see what works. So we we do everything we can to try to get our kids into the word of God, talking about the word of God. We'll try camps, we'll try um, Bible studies, we'll try different books. When my kids were really young every night, we'd read to them from this book, uh, Friends of ours got. It's called The Rhyming Bible. They gave it to us. It's beautiful, uh, fun illustrations, and it's Bible stories and rhymes, and so kids are kind of able to pick up on it. That worked from about one years old to five years old. The kids really learned a lot of those Bible stories. But after five, it was no longer cool. So we were looking for, okay, so what else can we find that can get the kids into the Word of God? Most recently, my kids are 10 now, and uh, the thing that's working really well right now, which is kind of weird to say, is a manga Bible. I don't know if you know what manga is. It's like Japanese anime. It's very exciting and graphic. And, and I opened up the manga Bible when Julie got it, and I thought, this is weird. This is just, I don't know what to do with this. It looks like Saturday morning cartoons in the form of the Bible. And okay we'll try it and sure enough like a week later my kids came and wanted me to walk them through the book of revelation so yay manga okay we'll do whatever it takes to have conversations about the word of God okay so so look out there and see what tools you can use as parents to get your kids reading and engaged with the word of God and talking to you about it lots of different options out there Final thing that I'll say on this second point, but this is really, really important. I want to make sure that you catch this. Parents, as you teach and train your kids in the word of God, remember, we are responsible for the inputs, not the results. That's crucial because you will have a lot of fear and a lot of shame if we think we're responsible for the results. No, our kids are free moral agents. Our kids are humans. God gave them the gift of choice. They get to make their own decisions. All we can control is what we give them. We can't control what they do with it. I find it very helpful to remember God is the most perfect father of all and yet he still has some very disobedient kids. It's not his fault. He allows humans to make their own free choice. Your kids get to make their own free choice. God doesn't hold you responsible for the choices they make. He holds you responsible for your input into their lives. So model what it looks like to follow Jesus. Teach and train them in the word and the ways of God. Third and final idea I have for you guys to help you parent a little bit better this week. Number three, get help. What do I mean by get help? Well, it's interesting to, to get into the culture of the Bible. So both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, what did a family look like? How did you do family? And what will really stand out if you do that kind of background study is they lived in community. Everyone did. They lived in community. What I mean by that is like, as your parents aged, they moved in with you. So there would be multiple generations living in the house, investing in one another. And and even if you had relatives who didn't live in your house, they lived like right next to you. Like everyone stayed in their village that they grew up in. They didn't move to the other side of the world. And so everyone knew one another. And yeah, that means everyone's in everyone's business, but it means you have a lot of help. So when you're a new parent, you have multiple generations of parents who've gone before you who can teach you and help you and mentor you. And when you just need a break, you've always got someone there you can hand the baby to. You've got an incredible amount of help in the ancient world, in the biblical world. They understood it takes a village to raise a child. You got to have that help. You got to have that community. But here we are in the modern world and we're trying to do it all on our own. We live these radically isolated lives that have never been true for all of human history. It's like this new experiment we're doing where we live totally alone and we stay inside our houses with just our nuclear family and we don't connect with our relatives. We don't connect with our neighbors. We try to raise kids alone. You will not do that successfully. That wasn't what you were designed to do. You need help. You need community. You need advice. You need people speaking into your life. You need resources training you up. You need help. Now, I will encourage you, as you look for help, whether it's from people or from books, as you look for help, find help from people who are gracious. There are a lot of people and a lot of books out there that are just going to tell you what you're doing wrong. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do this. Instead, do that. Do this. You should do this. Better. You should do that. Julie and I don't listen to any people like that. And we don't read any books like that. If we're reading a book and we get to chapter 1 and it's like that, it's a should-to book, boom, it's in the trash. We don't need any more guilt in our lives. Now, instead, find people in books that give you grace. So they give you wisdom, they give you encouragement, they give you ideas, but it's surrounded with grace. Grace first, last, always. Okay. So find a gracious community, find gracious resources that will help you in your journey as a parent. So let me give you some practical ideas, some specific ideas for this. Here at Anderson, you've got a number of opportunities. Number one, you can join a community group. Community group, we we used to call them like home churches, but they meet in all different places, all different nights of the week, um, all different opportunities. That's what Julie and I rely on. So we are in a community group. It meets on Wednesday nights. Um, Even though I'm the pastor, I intentionally don't lead it. We're just there as friends. That's that's what we need, is we need people to journey through life with. Uh, Most of our community group are parents, and so we can we can grieve with one another, lament with one another, celebrate with one another, share ideas. It's an amazing community that supports us. So community groups are, are awesome. If Sunday mornings works better for you, there's actually Home Builders that meets, I think, during the first service here at Anderson. Uh, there's many other Sunday morning groups here at the Anderson campus that you can join. And then if you're a new mom, there's Mom to Mom. Now, it, it sign, like the sign up for that is at the beginning of every semester. So next semester, if you want to be with mentoring older women who can teach you and train you how to be a new mom, sign up for Mom to Mom. It's an amazing ministry. So there's great groups that you can join. Now, how about books? What books should you read? That's one of the most frequent questions I get. What's a good book on parenting? Um, There's a lot of books on parenting. That's a very popular subject to write on. Uh, Some of them are very good. Some are not so good. Some are absolutely awful. And so as you look at books to to read, again, find ones that are gracious. I can't give you a long list. What what I decided and said, I'm going to give you four books that were particularly helpful for Julie and me. These may or may not be helpful for you. We don't agree with everything in all of these books. That's pretty much always true of any book other than the Bible. But they were helpful to us in our journey. So I'm going to share them with you. And if any of them sound like, hey, that might help me, feel free to pick it up. So first book that was really helpful in our lives uh, and probably saved our lives, Healthy Sleep Habits, Happy Child by Mark Weisbluff. We had twins and my twins, my, my boy and my girl, decided they would sleep at opposite times so that we could never sleep, which the CIA classifies as torture. It's not a good way to parent. And so we desperately needed something to help us figure out how to get our kids sleeping. And this book literally, it was a lifesaver, changed everything for us. Healthy sleep habits, happy child, incredibly practical advice to train your children to sleep. Conscious Discipline is a second one by Becky Bailey. The, it's a, an amazing resource. Really, really good suggestions about how to really train up your children. The cool thing about Conscious Discipline it's actually used in like College Station ISD, Bryan ISD, our own Kingdom Kids. Most of the schools around here use this material. So if you want to know how are my children being trained up in preschool and in, in school, this is where you go. A really, really good resource. Really, really helpful. Conscious Discipline by Becky. Bailey. Scream-Free Parenting, not saying anything about myself here, uh, by Hal Runkel. This one was really helpful for me because I, I really struggled as a parent. And, and this book, the cool thing about it, it was really less about the kids. It was more about me. It was dealing with stuff in my heart so that I could parent out of a healthier place. Really, really helpful book for me. Uh, finally, 123 Magic by Thomas Felon is a very, very practical book based on data and years and years of clinical study. And it's particularly about how to help a strong-willed child learn to obey. And we, uh, we've been blessed to get to understand what strong-willed children are. And we needed help with that. And this book was amazing. Really, really practical advice for us. So those were the books that were useful for us. If any of those sound like, hey, that could be useful, feel free to pick it up and check it out. Final thing that I'll say under this idea of getting help. Please do not hesitate to seek professional help. Uh, that's a big part of my story and Julie's story. We talked about it before. Julie and I both struggle with mental health issues so we both need counseling. That's just been part of our journey. That's also been part of our parenting journey. We needed help from professionals to figure out how do we parent. Our kids actually needed help. They both have had some issues and needed to be with a child psychiatrist and that's, that's just part of their story and I, I think the concern that I have is a lot of times in, in evangelical churches there's a stigma around the idea of going to a counselor a counselor or a psychiatrist, a therapist, as if that's a sign of failure. Actually, not going when you needed help, that's the failure. Going to a counselor or a psychiatrist to get professional help when you need it, that's a sign of strength. And so I highly encourage you to make use of the incredible resources we have in this town of of Christian counselors, of psychiatrists, of therapists, of family counselors, amazing ones. There are incredible resources out there. Let me particularly point your attention to the prevalence of postpartum depression, Right now in our country, one out of every four women suffers postpartum depression when they give birth. And if left untreated, that can lead to suicide. It's incredibly dangerous. Don't play around with that. So let's be looking out for one another, particularly husbands. Keep an eye on your wife. Do not hesitate to seek counseling and professional help because we need that. We really do. We need those professionals in our lives. So I encourage you parents, get help. You need it. And it's okay to need that. That's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign that you're human. And God wants you to get help. Okay? So I'm going to pray that God will help us to become a little bit better parents this week. And that he'll free us from that fear and shame and guilt that hold us back. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that out of all the, the labels that you could use to describe yourself, you chose the word Father. We praise you that we get to be your children. We praise you that you are not just a father. You're the perfect father. You are infinitely gracious and kind and loving and wise and truthful and consistent and patient and steadfast and gentle. You are the perfect Father. We praise you for that. We thank you that that you are our model, that we can look to you when we want to know how to be a better mom or dad. We thank you for that, Lord. We do confess, though, that we fall short of your example all the time. That all of us who are parents, we are painfully aware of our failures. We are aware of our inadequacies. We feel guilt and shame that for some of us, we've never told anyone else, God. and, And we just, we lay that at your feet and we pray that you would help us to feel hope We pray that you would fill us with your peace. We pray that you would free us from that shame and fear that come from from comparing ourselves to others that instead that we would practice gratitude and that in the power of your spirit, we might come to parent out of greater peace and hope and love in the future I pray that for each one of us that your spirit would help us to better model to our kids what it looks like to follow Jesus I pray that you would give us good ideas practically about how to teach and train them to know and follow you I pray that for every person in this room that you would surround them with community that would encourage them and train them God I pray particularly for any parents who feel alone or isolated that you would provide the support that they need to parent well thank you so much that you love us and that you are with us even on our worst days we praise you and thank you for your son jesus and in his name we say amen well god bless you guys have a great week